you take your seats, would you take out your Bibles and we'll finish up John chapter 12. Now, I want to very seriously remind you that the Bible occasionally puts forth a message that forces you to deal with the subject matter. And such is one of those this afternoon as we finish up John chapter 12. Jesus is now coming to the conclusion of his time really of public ministry. He's going to seclude himself to be primarily with the disciples from here on out. Uh, and, And so this really is kind of like the last thrust of his public message. This message is one that is of so much importance that your entire eternity depends on it. When you get to heaven, you will have actually answered but one question on the entrance exam. Did you believe? Do you believe? Have you believed? Has your life been so graced with faith to believe that you believed on the only begotten Son of God? And because of that, God's granted you forgiveness of sin, sanctified you, filled you with the Holy Spirit, caused you to be one of God's adopted own children with all the rights and privileges. In essence, to that end, the entrance exam to heaven is one question. Do you believe in Jesus? It's not, have you gone to church? It's not, have you memorized the entire Bible? Though the Bible itself speaks of Jesus. It's simply, do you believe? And so Jesus says now, do you believe in me or not? Believe it or not. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the beauty of this passage, and it's a hard truth. And so we pray for those that have come today, and perhaps they're wondering what it means to believe. We pray your Holy Spirit right now would begin to minister the truth of the salvation message of the gospel, which is anyone who will believe in you, Jesus, will be saved. And so we pray that would be clear above all things, above the stories, above the analogies, beyond the allegory and metaphor. Lord, speak the truth of your word to your people. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 37, if you join me there, here in John chapter 12. But although he had done many signs before them, so important that you see that for what it is. The writer of this gospel, John, is saying there was absolutely incontrovertible evidence that had been given by Jesus as to who he was, but it was not that evidence alone that was going to cause them to have a right relationship with God. With Jesus previous to this statement is Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead. Pretty strong evidence, amen? Jesus has caused a blind man to see, a lame man to walk, 5,000 people plus women and children, so 10,000 plus people to be fed from a small lunch found with a young boy. 
Jesus has done all kinds of things that one could say, wow, that's pretty awesome. I believe in that thing. If you can do that, when I, I believe in whatever you are. I, I don't really know. And maybe you're one of those people who've asked questions like, well, if you could just show me the cross, then I would believe. Can I tell you I believe that there is a reason that we do not have the cross of Christ? Because people would worship the cross. They would find out where it's at, and they would throw themselves on it, and they would worship a hunk of wood upon which Jesus died. They'd try and chip little chunks off of it. Somebody would probably try and make pins out of it or something. You will not ever get to heaven because of anything other than you have believed on the only begotten Son of God. That's it. And so Jesus in this passage, the remaining 14 verses here of chapter 12, makes that case. And in view is the word belief. And I love this. It comes from the Stanford Philosophical Dictionary. It's a compendium of words and really how they're used today. But belief, according to that dictionary, is a state of mind which a person thinks something to be the case without there being empirical evidence to prove that something is the case with factual certainty. Do you understand what that is? That means you believe without having all the evidence necessary for you to believe because someone showed you something. Because then belief could become works. It was just a massive amount of evidence that overwhelmed your mind so you had no choice. Belief requires faith. You cannot believe without faith. And so it is faith that is the gift of God that allows you to believe so that your belief is by faith. Your belief is not just empirical evidence that stated a case so you were backed into a theologic corner where there was no way out but to come to a single conclusion. And here's why this is important for us. Because if that were the case, because God is sovereign, do you not think he could have made such a monumental case that people would have believed based on just the evidence without faith? The answer is he could. He could have reached into your little minds and massaged them in such a way that you would have been forced, in essence, to come to one conclusion. But then you would not love him. You would simply be convinced that he is And because he wants a love relationship with you, he leaves faith as the evidence of things hoped for and yet not seen exactly as Hebrews 11 begins. You believe by faith. It's essential. There will always be a handful of questions that you are going to leave this earth with that will likely go unanswered. And the answer to the answer for those things is, Jeff, you need to simply trust me. I'm God. You need to believe. It's not because you understand who flung the stars into space and how. Though I can give you a pretty good case that my understanding of astrophysics fits into what I see today, and it involves God creating it. 
You, you see, we have to believe that Jesus is. And so he now makes this case. Follow with me as we finish off this chapter. They'd done so many signs, but they did not believe in him. You see, the miracles weren't enough. The miracles weren't... Honest, show me your hands. If you knew somebody that you knew actually died, they got run over on the freeway, you know they're dead, and someone was able to raise them from the dead, that would be a pretty strong case for you to believe that that person was God. Amen? I would. But I want you to see what it says. They saw that and still didn't believe. That's how blind people can be. They saw it. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. He's going to now quote John Will from Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed our report? Begin to underline them, circle them, believe, believed. Who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And therefore they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, He's blinded their hearts. He's hardened their hearts. He's blinded their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes. In other words, unless someone has faith, then they might just simply see the evidence and believe the evidence and not believe in the one who gave them the evidence. You could simply understand a truth. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah chapter 6 begins with this incredible statement. The great king Uzziah has died. And it was in the year that king Uzziah died that Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the glory of the Lord in the very year that Isaiah's world came crashing down. His mentor is dead. The one whom he loves like a father is gone. It was then that Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Are you more concerned about pleasing men or pleasing God? Notice what it says. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. What you believe, family, matters. And it matters for your eternity. It's not a light thing what you believe. It's not an elective what you believe. It is the one required course that one must take in order to get into heaven. You must believe on the only begotten Son of God. There's only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow. Every knee. Believing and unbelieving knees will bow eventually to the name of Jesus. 
So the question only becomes, when will you believe? Because Scripture is actually clear. The demons actually believe in Jesus. But they do not believe unto salvation. They know he's God's son. They're even afraid of him. They actually admonish Jesus, please don't send us into these swine. We know who you are, son of man. But they believe too late. Be careful. Believing matters. What you believe matters. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And then Jesus cried out in the remainder of this chapter are the words of Jesus. And he said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son into the world. Amen? So God's plan from beginning of time has always been Jesus. Jesus' mission has always been to be the Savior of the world and ultimately the judge of the world. That day's coming. But notice what Jesus says. He who sees me has seen him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. With faith, one believes in one's heart unto salvation. You, you see, what you believe matters. Not just what you think, not just what you see, what you believe. Without the empirical evidence, there wasn't a single conclusive thing to where you said, I'm just convinced. No, by faith you've believed that God sent his own son into this world so that the world through him might be saved. If anyone hears my words and does not notice it, believe. Very, very careful word choice here. Repetitively, over and over and over. Jeff, what do you believe? What do we believe? What do you believe? I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The first time Jesus came, he didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. You need to make that really clear in your own heart and mind. You see, Jesus could have come the first time and judged the world. The world was a mess. The world's still a mess. The world has not gotten better. It is, in fact, getting worse. Jesus could have come the first time and just simply judged the world. But that's not why he came. For God so loved the world, Jesus came. Jesus loves you. That's why he came. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's why he came. He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. Amazing beauty of this passage. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in that last day. 
That is a frightening thought. That by the mere fact that Jesus came and died on Calvary's cross, you will one day, one day be judged for that knowledge. And before you go, oh, well, the Lord's unfair because not everybody's heard. Do you not think the God that loves everyone and wishes that none should perish, don't you think that he's able to speak the gospel message into any and everybody's life? And though it is our task, it is our goal, it should be on every believer's heart to share the gospel. The gospel can be spoken in a sunset. The gospel can be spoken through trees and animals. And the moon and the stars declare him. So don't accuse God of being unfair. But what Jesus is saying is one day, everyone is going to give an answer for what they did with the knowledge of Jesus. The word that was spoken of him. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. God said, Son, let's do this. It's time. Let's go. Mankind's waited long enough. It's time to reveal you. You see, when Jesus came the first time, he came on a donkey lowly. Amen? The foal of a donkey. Oh, but when he comes the next time, he's not coming like that. Because the next time he is coming to judge. Jesus is coming again, and he's coming the next time as the judge. The question is, what will you have done with what you know before he gets here? What I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. That's what God wants. That's why the Apostle Paul could write those words. That's why Peter would echo those words. Both of them echoing the eternal desire of God that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so God makes the plan believing. Not church attendance, though that's wonderful for your growth. It's wonderful that you might hear the gospel. But no one is saved because of what church they attend. You might have a better chance of hearing the gospel message and thereby being saved by attending certain churches but you're not saved by church attendance or membership or Bible ownership or memorization or any of those things. You are saved because you have believed on the only begotten Son of God the Father. That's what's emphasized here. Check this out. And I know His command is everlasting life and Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So Jesus' take is, do you believe? You see, there's a grave danger in unbelief. That's what's in view here. Because what happens in the human heart is happening in this passage. You have the Pharisees who've seen the miracles. They, they have heard the words of the Lord and they have turned around and gone the other way. And so they went from they would not believe 
to they could not believe, to they should not believe. Various stages of unbelief, and each one is worse than the one previous. You see, when you start to resist the gospel message, when you resist the light, something happens to you. You begin to change internally. And your heart gets a little harder towards the message. And in fact, you become more of a cynic and more of a skeptic. You become less in tune to the truth that is spoken in God's Word. And in fact, you start to become a hater of all things Jesus. One of the most distasteful things I've ever experienced in my Christian walk was the final day that I saw my stepdad. I was on my knees beside his bed. He was asleep on pain medication trying to keep him from expiring. I'm praying for him. He woke out of that slumber, began to curse at me with the most vulgar words that one could possibly think of, telling me to stop doing that. He wanted to go to hell because that's where his friends were. That's how hard your heart can become. Heard the gospel over and over again. Didn't want to believe. Ultimately culminating with, I want to go to hell. And while that is an extreme example, it is the example of everyone who rejects the good news of the gospel. That's the result. There isn't a holding place. There's not some like hell light. There's hell and there's heaven. The question is, do you believe in Jesus? Because the answer to that question determines which one of those two places you spend eternity. Unbelief comes at a very, very, very high price. And what God does in response to your repeated unbelief is he judicially hardens your heart. Now, we don't like this. We don't like the concept of it. And, and this, this process that goes from would not eventually does become cannot because you've chosen not to. You see, when people hear the gospel message and reject it, their heart becomes a little harder and a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. And so Jesus says, here's some warning signs for you. Don't be a secret believer. You see, you can go to work, and if you tell people you go to church, here's what's going to happen with some of them. Oh, that's really nice. I'm glad you found religion. But you tell them that you believe that Jesus Christ is God's own son and he died on Calvary's cross for you personally so that your sins could be forgiven so that you could go to heaven and have eternal life. They're going to go, you are weird. You see, because we love the praise of men, we leave out the Jesus part and we just do the church part. Don't be a secret believer. 
Here in this church, we are believers that Christ Jesus is the Savior and Lord. Amen? That's the truth. And I have believed in whom I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which is committed unto him unto the day of Christ Jesus. I believe that. I don't have just simple empirical evidence that God created the heavens and the earth, though the moon and the stars declare his handiwork. Amen? You see the evidence? The evidence is before you, but the evidence cannot get you all the way there. It can get you close to where you can, I believe. I I trust you, God. Throughout Scripture, we find the evidence of people who just simply heard the message and turned their back. Their eyes became blind and their ears became dull of hearing. They heard it over and over and over again. I I had the unpleasant opportunity to talk to a a group of pastors. We were doing a, a pastor's conference, and they came from a denominational church, and I'll leave the name out. It's not important. But as I was talking with them, there was not one out of over 20 of them that actually believed that Jesus Christ was the only way. There wasn't one. And they said things, well, you know, God will just work it all out in the end. And I pointed them to this passage. I said, then what was Jesus talking about? Why does he repeatedly say... It is enough that you believe. Why did he even use that word? If he's just simply going to sort it all out in the end. No, that's not how it happens. You have to choose whether you believe or do not believe. And I'm telling you, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk because what's in view is eternity and where you will spend it. You see, because as your heart becomes harder and harder and harder, as you reject the message, as you respond in a negative way, as you begin to hear about these things and you do nothing with them, you become much like the inhabitants of the city of Pompeii in the first century. Thousands and thousands of pages have been written about that city. It's still being excavated to this day. And the more it gets excavated, the more we understand the tragedy of the city of Pompeii. And a lot of people come to church and they might as well be living in Pompeii. You see, now we have found people with their pets in their arms, frozen in stone, burned alive in a pyroclastic cloud, engulfed in ash, and turned into, in essence, their own rock sarcophagus. Husband and wife in an embrace, with a child between them. Servant washing the feet of the master, encased in stone every manner of life possible that you can think of 
during ancient Roman times, entombed instantaneously in a 200-mile-an-hour moving pyroclastic flow. And here's the tragedy. No one had to die. They simply ignored the warning signs. Two weeks prior to the actual eruption, there was a massive earthquake. Actually wiped out part of Pompeii, but did so in such a way that really no one was really seriously injured. Destroyed a bunch of houses. A plume of ash coming from the volcano for weeks. Small flows of lava coming down the slopes of Mount Vesuvius. They ignored every single sign. Oh, it'll never blow its top. God would never send anyone to hell. You see what I'm saying? You see, till the day that they all died, no one believed the truth. They did not believe the truth. The truth was they were about to be wiped out. And they were being yelled at by Mount Vesuvius every single day. But after every little tremor and every little lava flow and every little puff of ash, they said, well, it didn't happen today. And they went right on with their lives. Such is unbelief in people's lives today. Because exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24 is true. And in the very last days, there will be wars and rumors of wars and famine. There will be economic disasters. There will be globalization of the world's economy. There will be all these things that will be happening, but people will be asleep. So that the end will come upon them swiftly. As a thief, a sneak thief. That's because people's hearts are hardened to the truth of the gospel message. They don't want to believe. You see, people have a tough time. And the chief case uh, in all of Scripture that people really can can think on is, is why would God judicially hard, why would God allow people's hearts to get like that? Because they want it like that. Well, that's not fair. When you won't accept the truth that you have, and you do that repeatedly, God says to you, just as he did to Pharaoh, if that's what you want, I will give it to you. And so people look at this word that we find in this passage and many others hardened. Much like in the life of Pharaoh. People look at the life of Pharaoh and say, God wasn't fair to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Oh yeah, he was. Because the first plague was this. It's like, man, it's flies, where are they coming from? And then there were some frogs jumping around, and I'm sure the kids were all entertained. The river turns to blood. 
I'm kind of thinking when the hail storm started and there was fire and brimstone and people were being incinerated that everybody would have been going, you know, I'm kind of thinking maybe this whole thing with God and Moses might be true. But what did they say? Ah, it ain't going to happen. And it wasn't until they all lost their firstborn that they cried out, Dear God in heaven. And for many, it was too late. You see, the word that's used there, hardened for Pharaoh, is the same word that Jesus uses here. In the Hebrew, it's hazak. And it means to make strong. It doesn't mean to remake. It doesn't mean to make the decision for. It means to strengthen that which already is. And the unbelief is there. And so God says, look, if you want unbelief so that no one else perishes around you, I'll give you unbelief. And I'm going to make that unbelief so strong that it is absolutely evident to you and everyone else. I'm going to strengthen your unbelief, harden your heart. Because that is where you're going. You've already decided. And it works like this. Many of you were around, I I would think, back in the 1980s. If you were here in Southern California, we went through a tremendous cement shortage in the early 1980s. And if you were in construction, a sack of cement went over $20 per bag. If you know anything about cement, sometimes $2, $3 a bag. It went up 10 times. It was like gold. And so I'm driving to a job site, one of my job sites that we were working on. And I'm driving down a dirt road. And there in the middle of the road, Hallelujah. An entire sack of cement. I'm thinking, praise the Lord. He has delivered me a sack of cement. Pulled my truck over, got out of the truck, went over to pick up the sack of cement, and it went like this. They're only 90 pounds. I was pretty strong at the time. I may not look like it, but I was... It was stuck to the dirt. And oh, by the way, it was a giant rock. Still inside the bag. It looked like it was soft. It looked like it was still usable. It looked like it had potential to be doing what you do with cement, which is mix it with sand and rock and turn it into something nice. But it was hard in the bag. It looked like it still had value, but it was valueless because it had simply been rained on. That's how a hardened heart is. Oh, oh, you look like the rest of the people on the face of the earth. You look like there's potential. But because you've rejected the message of the gospel inside of your life as a heart of stone that was meant to be something soft and pliable and moldable by the master, but has become a rock inside of the bag in which it was created. Amen. 
And it's to you that I want to speak these last couple of minutes. If your heart continues to get hard, pretty soon God just says, that's what you want, that's what you get. That's not what God wants for you. And the fact that you're here today is proof of that. Because God wants you to believe in his own son who died for you on Calvary's cross. And he died in your place expressly to forgive your sin, to redeem you back from the debt that you owe God, which you cannot pay. And Christ paid it for you. But you have to believe in Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, church, if you would stand with me. I'm going to ask you who know the Lord right now, you've said yes to the grace gift. You've invited Christ in. You who are here and you believe in Jesus already, I want you to begin to pray right now for those who do not yet believe. Because I believe in this room there are some who do not believe. But the good news is you can believe. And the fact that you're here is a sign that your heart has not yet reached that place of concrete. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if you're here today and you have not believed in the only begotten Son of God and you want to go to heaven, He wants you in heaven with Him. And you can believe today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If that's you today and you came and you've been struggling, you don't even know what eternity is about, but you want to know the King of Eternity Jesus is telling you right now, believe in me. Believe and you'll be saved. And you want that salvation right now. I'm just going to simply ask you right where you're at, just slip your hand up in the air. I want to pray with you to receive Christ. I see that hand. see that hand in the back as well. Praise God. Anyone else? If you were to die today, you do not know for sure where you'd spend eternity. If that's you, put your hand up right now. We're going to pray together. Anyone else? Don't be ashamed. I see that hand back there in the back as well. Don't be ashamed of Jesus because he's not ashamed of you. I see that hand over here to my right. Praise God. Anyone else? You want to know Christ personally. I see that hand in the very back row. God bless you. Anyone? Jesus loves you. All he asks is you just believe in him and you'll be saved. We're going to pray together in just a minute. Anyone else at all? Praise God for those hands that have been raised. Those of you that raised your hands, go ahead and put your hands down. I'm going to simply pray a prayer, but it's got to come from you. You can follow me and just repeat these words, but you need to pray. You need to ask Jesus into your life right now. You need to simply believe that he is who he says he is. He's God's own son. He's the only means of salvation. He came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He died on Calvary's cross. He died in your place. And because he did so, when he was buried, you were buried with him. Your old life, in him is hidden now in Christ by simply believing. And because of that, through faith, 
believing in him, you'll have eternal life. Pray with me. Pray these words. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe that you're the only Savior. And I'm asking you to come into my life right now and forgive my sin, to clean up my life. Lord, I've been living it without you. I believe that you are who you say you are. You're God's own son. And I'm trusting you for my eternity. I want to go to heaven. Would you accept me into your kingdom? As you forgive my sin, would you write my name in the Lamb's book of life? I give you my life. It's yours. Do with it as you please. Thank you for saving me right now. Thank you for adopting me into your family. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.